Hello, hello. So we're going to be back and doing chapter 21 and 22 today. I know it's been a long time since we've uh, done our last podcast. Um, there's just been so much going on and we're still plugging away at Leviticus. There's a, a lot of stuff even in the next few chapters. I, it gets very strict uh, how God wants to sanctify his priests and what they're allowed to do and not allowed to do. So we'll go over that. And I, you know, I'm still interested in this book and how mostly to kind of see how the character of God and what he thinks is holy versus what we think it's holy. He has his own plan. So I wanted to just share that. Um, so how's it going, Jared? Oh, it's going pretty good. Keep it busy. Responsibilities of a father and working man and musician. Yeah, you got a lot. How many kids do you have? Three? Yeah, and they're all under five, so. Wow. That must be a huge challenge by itself. I'm actually amazed you have all this time to even do anything else but raising your children. You got to scrape your time wherever you can get it. And, uh, <laughs> right now, I can get it at after 8.35, so. Yeah, I know. Well, I do appreciate you giving us time to do this. So this is chapter 21. Yahweh said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, A priest shall not defile himself for the dead among his people, except for his relatives that are near to him, for his mother, for his father, for his son, for his daughter, for his brother, and for his virgin sister who is near to him, who has had no husband, for her he may defile himself. He shall not defile himself, being a chief among his people, to profane himself. So I want to stop here, because it seems like he's okay to deal with the dead, but only very close family members, but that, the act of even doing it, he's defiling himself? Yeah, so it was unclean to touch any dead person or any dead animal back then but i mean there was exceptions to mourning it seems and i think these uh exceptions are being made by god of course um to help the the priesthood go through the mourning process of their close family and relatives and he's putting parameters on on that because it can't just be a friend it has to be like in today's funerals and stuff when people go visit funerals and they kind of uh, look over the dead. I don't know if they touch them or not, but what do you think of that idea? Because that's everybody. Are they? Um, like... you, you don't defile yourself by looking at a dead person. You have to touch. Um, these are also, I think like a lot of these rules are made at a time and place of, uh, like God was not absent-minded of the time they were in, like, they didn't have medical treatments. Their embalming processes weren't as oh, uh, yeah. sterile as ours. And you have to think about these things as well. But they were still permitted to mourn and grieve and touch their dead. But it was just, it was an act of defilement. But God obviously made an exception where yeah, temporary, unclean, but. Uh, yeah, so I think that's what's happening here, very much so. I think that's exactly what's happening. All right, verse 5. They shall not shave their heads or shave off the corners of their beard or make any cuttings in their flesh. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of God. For they offer the offerings of Yahweh made by fire, the bread of their God. Therefore, the, they shall be holy. They shall not marry a woman who is a prostitute or profane. A priest shall not marry a divorced woman from her husband, for he is holy to his God. Therefore, you shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, Yahweh, who sanctify you, am holy. Can't marry a prostitute, which that I understand. But then he also can't marry a divorced woman. So it's like because a woman, if she slept with any other man, she's sort of considered as unclean. Yeah. So I think it's also you have to look at the example that a priest was to set for the people because um, divorce was sanctioned because uh, by God, because the people's hearts were hard. 
it, it, it didn't really have anything to do with God wanting that to be the case. Even God himself says this um, incarnate when Jesus was on the earth. But divorce happens though, right? To some... Yeah, so the priests were not permitted to um, do that at all. Yeah. And still like still to this day. Oh, sorry. Oh, no. That, that Yeah, you're right. Even to this day, um, priests and even the deacons of the church have to hold themselves above standards, right? To yeah. have a family. and But it still kind of puts stigmatized women that are no longer with their husbands. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's like it's like that branded X or something forever. Like you're no good for anybody holy. Because that's what's basically well, what's God saying. Like because you're holy or because I'm holy, you're holy. And you have to be perfect in, you know, in all your ways. But then all these women that kind of had other partners before, they're essentially unholy. They're not getting sanctified. I wouldn't go as far to say that God is demeaning them or putting an X on them. Rather, what it is, is he's allowing them to heal spiritually by by not allowing them to marry somebody who is in a holy position. So, for instance, let's say you are divorced and, and you marry somebody who's a priest back then. Like, basically, what you bring on yourself is more um, judgment from others and you bring your, yourself on more scrutiny. And I think if you think about it, that actually does more damage to the healing process than if you were to just not be permitted to marry somebody who was in that office. I mean, it, there are supposed to be examples for the community. So I do get that. But. As we read through it, it you know, the, these few chapters, it, it, it does begs a lot of questions. So let's keep going. Uh, so I know there's a later that I have more of these questions too. First nine. The daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by playing the prostitute, she profanes her father. She shall be burned with fire. He who is high is the high priest among his brothers upon whose head the anointing oil is poured and who is consecrated to put on the garment shall not let the hair of his head hang loose or tear his clothes. He must not go into any dead body or defile himself for his father or for his mother. He shall not go out of the sanctuary nor profane the sanctuary of his God for the crown of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am Yahweh. So on this one, there's a difference because he's a high priest, which is what Jesus was too. Mm -hmm. um, he says, let hair of his hand, not, uh, not let his hair of his hand loose. So that means Jesus's hairs probably wasn't uh, loose and long, like it's described, right? Um, I don't know about that because Jesus' office spiritually was high priest he was a high priest after the order of melchizedek so not necessarily after the order of uh, aaron and his sons so Jesus right was but a i think the office of but I, I do think there's some connections to the new testament but here like even on this one there's a begs a question of so it says that you know that any daughter that plays a prostitute she profanes her father and she has to be burned with fire but uh, we know that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute, right? So Jesus uh, didn't require her to be burned out. He Here, said, scroll, scroll up real quick. Yeah, that's the daughter of any priest. So um, Mary Magdalene, Magdalene was not the daughter of a priest. So she perhaps could have been. So you're saying that if she was a daughter of the priest, then... No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> God can have mercy upon anyone he wants to have mercy on. And no, also, that is true, but there are definitive uh, what he's outlining here. This is what he thinks, and what he thinks is saying is holy versus unholy, and then who gets the judgment, which in here, it's immediate judgment. There is no, he's yeah. not allowing them to be sanctified or repent or any of that. You know, he's saying if she did it, then that's it. She's burned with fire. Well, also, I've noticed the this theme in Leviticus, where the higher the authority, the um, more intense the, the judgment, because it's not enough for a priest to just be judged like the other people, because he's set apart from the other people. 
he's in a higher position. He's directly down from uh, communication from God himself. So to represent God and yet have your house not be in order, and by saying his house not being in order, his children not being obedient, is to represent a um, falsehood about God. I agree with that. It's that, you know, the all the priests are representative of Christ, just like Christ became a representative for the Father. Here. Also, you have to keep in mind, too, when reading these laws and books, these laws are for a very particular nation. Um, it was to be followed by the Israelites, by the sons of Israel, um, because they were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They were supposed to bring the Gentiles to God. They were supposed to be a holy set-apart people. And how can you be oh, a holy set-apart Right. But how are you to be a holy set apart people if if your very leaders are lenient in their own households? Yeah, I mean, it all makes sense. But I'm and, saying that even though we're not the Israelites today, God characters never change. So if he's saying that this is if you are to, if I'm a holy, you are to be holy. And this is what I require of you. I don't think that ever changed. Like, we yeah, we are to be holy. Right. The, the difference now is um crisis is living inside us well you know if we ask for him to he will be and he will change our character from the inside out so the law i think paul says the law cannot save us but rather true law can't save us but it is interesting the stuff that he uh told the israelites and the priests what was not clean christ was actually coming in he was with the lame and he healed, you know, like he was among the lepers and all the physical handicapped people that he was healing. So like it's opposite of what's going on here. So like here he's saying. It's, I wouldn't say opposite. I would say it's the fulfillment of what's going on here. So these are all outward physical laws and regulations to prophesy to an inward transformation that would take place when Christ would die and be crucified. Uh, the the outward signs and symbols, these are of the, of the flesh, the laws of the flesh. And, and so Christ is of the spirit and the spirit is truly what transforms the flesh. So these were all types and shadows and Paul speaks of this. And so when, when we're reading these things, we're reading these things in con, we have to read this in that context. You can't just read this and try and apply this to uh, our behaviors now, because we're in a different situation uh, than they were. They did not have the fulfillment of the law in Christ and in the new Testament. Um, and when right, I say but fulfillment, I, think that, I mean that in, in the absolute terms. Like, I don't just mean Jesus completed the law and obeyed it in its fulfillment. I mean, he fulfilled the types and shadows in wholeness. And that well, I, I think what he was doing, he sanctified everything to make it clean. Because exactly. the act of healing the sick and the blind and all of that, plus going into the leper colony, he was actually cleansing where they were already casted out uh, as blemished. But we'll talk about that when we get to the blemish section. So let's read verse 13. He shall take a wife in her virginity. She, He shall not marry a widow or one divorced or a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute. He shall take a virgin for his own people as a wife. He shall not profane his offspring among his people, for I am Yahweh who sanctifies him. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Say to Aaron, none of your offspring throughout their generation who has a defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. For whatever man he is that has a defect, he shall not draw near. A blind man or a lame or he who has a fat nose, or any deformity, or a man who has an injured foot, or an injured hand, or hunchbacked, or a dwarf, or one who has a defect in his eye, or an itching disease, or scabs, or who has damaged testicles. No man of the offspring of Aaron, 
the priest who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings of Yahweh made by fire. Since he has a defect, he shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He shall eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy. He shall not come near to the veil, nor come near to the altar, because he has a defect, that he may not profane my sanctuary, for I am Yahweh who sanctifies them. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel. So here, um, this is where I was talking about that anyone who had a defect of all these things could not go inside the tabernacle of God's house. They were. Well, this is to the sons of Aaron. Um, this is talking particularly about the priesthood. It means yeah. if you were to be a priest or participate in, in this function, you had to not have any of these defects it, it's not to say that they couldn't bring sacrifices to the priests but rather it was saying they couldn't be priests themselves yeah they couldn't be priests for sure but i think they said they couldn't come near near to offer the offerings um so they couldn't go close to the altar right and they could eat the bread of the god but they they couldn't come near the offered the bread of his God. So they, they just couldn't go inside near the altar. Right. So because I think because uh, everything in his sanctuary is made holy and perfect. Exactly. No blemish. Because that was the whole reason for like not picking blemished animals to sacrifice. So he wasn't going to allow his sons who were blemished to be anointed as priests. Because then yeah. that would be like mixing, you know. But I just find that interesting by when Jesus came, he was healing everyone with a defect, like the blind man. He, you know, he had miraculous healing of the blind man, the lame and all the other deformities that people came with. Yeah, because Jesus was in he was that which was to unify the separation between God and man. And that's really what it means to fulfill the law is to take the divide away, is to take that division and separate um, so that God can dwell with man. For like, uh, even think about this. What does Christ's name Emmanuel mean? God with us. The whole right. point of Christ was to make a way for us to dwell with God. So that's what pretty much what describing here that the separation of God with imperfect souls and then having that redemptive act of God coming into flesh, that he was able to dwell with us and then sanctify us. Yeah. And look at what he told Peter. He said, do not say that anything is unholy that I have made holy. Remember, yeah. he wouldn't let the Gentiles come into the church unless they were circumcised. Yeah. And, and there was this whole dream that that um, God sent to Peter and God basically told people, Peter, that do not call things that are unclean that I have made clean. Right. The only thing I was thinking about is because up until that point when Jesus came, they were all trying to follow these Levitical laws. Yes. Um, so they the and all of a sudden there was a switch where once he became flesh, that all of these laws no longer were applicable. Well, and so also Jesus' criticism of his disciples often in the in the Gospels was, your mind is on the flesh when I, I'm talking in spirit. I give you parables so that you may understand this in spirit and in truth. But your minds are so, uh, your hearts are so hardened, you only can see the flesh. Your your understanding is dead and you're you're blind. Because in the old, uh, in, the, in this time frame, uh, they... Although God was dwelling with them in the tabernacle, the heart was still wicked because there wasn't right. transformation of the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And why was Christ so mad at the Pharisees? He was mad at the Pharisees because what they did was they took the law and they took the letter, but they threw out the heart of it. They yeah. threw out the whole point of the law, but they followed the law to utter scrutiny, but they also found loopholes in the law. 
And so they would use those loopholes to their own benefit to oppress the widow and the orphan. And they would take the law of Moses and they would apply a spirit that wasn't of God to it. And thus they would defile the very law they kept, but they would defile it in a way that was deeper. And so they brought upon themselves such a deep judgment that even Christ called them vipers and snakes. Yeah, they're still kind of doing that now. But yeah, they right. they took it and they created its own economy of using the laws to oppress their own people and then making money off of it, make them like by works. The more they did, the more holier they could be, the more money they could collect, you know, so it was never ending game. And it wasn't just money. It was also prestige. They would use their own yeah. prestige um, and their own. Piety. Yeah, they were like they the governmental. They had power. In yeah, the... they would have piety parades yeah. too. They would go on the corner and pray and put ash upon their face and sackcloth, and everybody knew that when they were mourning or they were praying or they were fasting, and they used this as leverage against the people to say, "Oh, look how I am holy and how you are." Praying. Yeah. And yet they did not, like they did not fulfill their office in spirit because they did not actually. Um, help them help the people to grow closer to God, but rather they used the laws of God as a bludgeon in order to, you know what I was thinking from like the time when all these Israelites had this direct connection with the God and all the priests were sanctified and made holy. You would think from this time till Jesus's time, they, the people would have gotten more and more holy, but instead they got more and more wicked uh, as time, you know, progressed. So it's like the law didn't even have any effect on them. It was just getting more, worse and worse. Over right. Time. Well, you know, I think to some, there are some people who get credit, like David, for instance. I yeah. think what, what David gets such credit and gets overlooked sometimes was he was called a man after God's own heart. For he, he followed the law, understanding that it was designed to to transform his heart and that was the main goal and then yeah. and thus because he understood the the meaning of the law he looked forward to the day that christ would come and in his psalms he prophesied that christ would come and actually redeem people in their spirit and thus you would actually have the fulfillment of the law in their acts because yeah. they wouldn't be no longer person separated from god but rather god would be able to dwell within them Thus, the whole point of being of the law being fulfilled, because the purpose of the law was to point to Christ and to point to the future um, event that would happen, which would make it possible for God to dwell with us. Yeah, and, because the law wasn't biased by his grace. Yeah, because the law was there to sanctify the people and make them holy, but that wasn't working. And, you know, like they would never be able to fulfill it on their own power. So it has to be God's power that has to dwell in them. I wouldn't argue that the law wasn't working. I well, would I mean, argue the that the law worked, but but it worked to point to uh, Christ. It worked yeah. to to set the people apart from the Gentile nations if they followed it. And, and it, it worked at times and not at times. So it's it's not like you have this like, oh, the Jews were all evil all the time. That's not true. Um, there were times and periods in which um, yeah no no I, I get that was... yeah I wasn't trying to say that I was saying that like the law was given because that was meant to sanctify them and make make them holy but over time uh, within their own power without God's power they still weren't able to do it because it had to be like if God didn't dwell in us there's no way we could ever keep the law 100% like, even if you right. wanted to try, and even if the Pharisees and the Sadducees were very successful at making people try, it still wasn't enough, you know? It well, has you also to have to remember, power. Um, hell, death and hell had not yet been conquered by Christ. Yeah. Um. So they had a different kind of situation happening before the heralding of Hades, even. And this is kind of seen a little bit in uh, Jesus' parable of, lazarus and the rich man for the chasm there, were, there was actually a separation in hell um you know the the place where the righteous died before christ came and then the pr place where the wicked died 
before Christ came. There was kind of a chasm where there was Abraham's bosom. And I mean, that's kind of vague and getting into the weeds about things. Um, but there, the, the pillaging of hell by Christ changed all of that reality where he has the keys of death and hell. So let's read Leviticus chapter 22. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, tell Aaron and his sons to separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel which they make holy to me, and that they not profane my holy name. I am Yahweh. Tell them, if any one of all of your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things which the children of Israel make holy to Yahweh, having his uncleanness on him, that soul shall be cut off from before me. I am Yahweh. Whoever of the offspring of Aaron is a leper or has a discharge shall not eat of the holy things until he is clean whoever touches anything that is unclean by the dead or a man who has a seminal emission or whoever touches any creeping thing by which he may be made unclean or a man from whom he may become unclean whatever uncleanness he has the person that touches any such shall be unclean until the evening and shall not eat of the holy things unless he bathes his body in water when the sun is down he shall be clean and afterward he shall eat of the holy things because it is his bread he shall not eat that which dies of itself or is torn by animals defiling himself by it i am yahweh so the other one i i do understand you know like the leper and bodily fluids, which we already talked about in the past. Uh, I thought this one was interesting. Don't touch any creeping thing. So that means all the bugs. You can't touch the bugs. All the bugs. <laughs> well, they want us to eat these bugs, but yeah. you know, here they weren't even allowed to touch them or they become unclean. Well, dead flies. Like, don't touch flies, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they're, they're on dead things and carcasses. And You know, I think I was thinking about this a little bit. Um, because I think the importance of this law too uh, is not to is to keep the people away from the tra the trajectory of the Gentiles by yeah. having stricter rules on things. It kind of prevents you from kind of participating in any of the rituals and even magical rites of the Mediterranean, of the, not the Med, but the Mediterranean area. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Fertile Crescent, you know, the, what, what do they call that place? I'm not sure what, but you mean by like the Egyptians? Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. All of these laws and stuff actually prevent 99% of divination. Yeah. Um, And, and like, you couldn't even if you were actually like doing any of these things, you, you would be, what's well, funny, it like, render it impossible to even go on the trajectory. If you were keeping these laws or even trying to, to, I think, I don't, did we hit Deuteronomy? Maybe we have, I don't know if this, is that before this chapter? Deuteronomy, is that the book before Leviticus or after? Numbers, then Deuteronomy. Oh, okay. So I think in Deuteronomy, it talks a lot about unclean, clean kind of, critters and animals and stuff mm. much like this book did too yeah like and it, and it mentioned and but all the creepy crawly things those are like bugs like yeah eaters. Ants, ants, you know like all kinds of stuff that's in the ground um and it's funny that you mentioned about like what the uh other egyptians practices and stuff you know part of the witchcraft that you see on media and old movies and stuff the witches would take like these insects or like frogs and other insects and they would put them in the witch's brew, mm -hmm. right? which is all unclean to begin with. Um, yeah. So if that has something to do with, you know. You know, if you've ever done any studies on uh, ancient Mesopotamia and their rituals and rites and even stuff like they find in archaeology, yeah, there are very, very, very good reasons that God had all these rules because they were doing some crazy stuff. Yeah, with with all the things God said not to touch, and even right. with fabrics and mixing of fabrics and all that yeah. stuff too. You'd be surprised. 
Yeah, you know, I saw somebody do an interesting video on mixing, like not mixing wool and cotton. And she made a point of something significant, but I forgot about it. But it was something. Oh, is it have to do like if you actually patch a uh, say you have a cotton or a flax flaxen object and you patch it with wool, the fibers will actually pull against each other. Yeah. And will tear it. I think. But this one, she she says something spiritual significance back then and why but i don't know I'm, I'm sure there's so much going on that we just don't have any information of what was really happening in that time frame and why god yeah. was doing that um well also there's a lot of oral traditions that get lost yeah so it wasn't just the written law i mean of course they had the written law but they also had the the traditions of the elders passed down and you know some things get get lost over time and in translation and if they're not written down they're basically gone yeah for all intents and purposes so there there actually may have been traditions that like oral traditions that explained the laws and their meanings have been i think like, the history books probably would be really relevant if anybody really researched the history back then what was happening maybe yeah. found some writings or something you know about their culture back then well, and another thing is, I, I think to myself, God's also trying to prevent, like, the world from being, like, completely corrupt, like what happened in the days of Noah. Like, who knows what kind of evils they were doing with all these creeping things. Because it wasn't, like, even Enoch says, it wasn't just that they were violent, it's that they actually sinned against the animal. Oh, yeah, they were, uh, I think I read or saw some place where they really had a record of, like, uh, DNA mixing and matching like there's some historical book that talked about how the fallen angels their technology was very sophisticated and then they started doing you know genetic engineering even back yeah. then it's kind of brazen of us to kind of judge these rules and regulations because we don't even understand like what god was trying to prevent oh yeah from happening and we don't have a lot of the issues um in mind when we're looking at these things that they were part that they had with the nations around them yeah i'm sure it had more to do with what was around them that they god took them out of that yeah situation and then sanctified them well and also to be holy is to be set apart yeah which they started in the wilderness that's actually where they started the whole process well and the other thing is a lot of them died in the wilderness yeah. because they refused to be set apart, essentially. Yeah. And so they brought judgment upon themselves. And I think today we're set apart because we believe in Christ. Right. So. Well, it's it's that, absolutely. And what I mean, what we mean by believe is like we believe not with just our words, but with our actions as well. Right. Well, I we're think, being sanctified as well. I think belief has to do with it's an un. It should be an all-encompassing word, and it is in the Greek. So if you if you read like the word to believe in the Greek, there wasn't this kind of like concept of belief was, uh, like a head knowledge or anything. It was yeah. actually an all-encompassing. It's like you know something's, you know something, and when you know something, it means you act accordingly yeah i mean we're, we're sort of living according to his ways right so yeah we're gonna give and it christ our christ made it possible for us to even do that yeah um and the the problem really now is like our battling against the old man because we're leaving living kind of a dualistic life almost like where we still have like the desires of the flesh and we're to take that off and put on the armor of god but I also see the world around us growing exactly what Christ and God warned us about. Like all this is given us historical context, but oh, now and, visualize it, you know, a lot of and, this stuff. And I think like one thing that the reason the world is so crazy now is because people took the New Testament and they're like, well, you know, we have a license to do whatever we want now. Yeah. And now we have now we're actually discovering why God had all these rules because we're messing with stuff that is literally ruining 
the fabric of our world. Yeah. And, you know, I think because people got complacent because the judgment is not immediate. Like before judgment was immediate and there was a fear of God. I think now there's less fear of God. They're like, eh, we don't even know. I don't know if Christ's coming back because he's been gone for 2000 years, you know? And like, so they kind of forgotten. There's a disconnect between like, Hey, God still exists. You know, just because he's not taking immediate judgment and he's not, you know, acting uh, with all these rules in the past and people have kind of laxed and they said, oh, OK, well, you know, I don't believe in God. I don't need God. I can do it on my own. I mean, look at Noah Harari. He, he openly says it. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, isn't he such a good icon for today's world? Yeah. Like, everybody criticizes it him for saying the things he says but everybody lives out the things he says oh yeah like like you, it, it's it's hard for me not to live out the things he says because what can i do i can do anything with this cell phone i can right. learn about any subject i i can entertain myself for hours like i'm the god of the universe who needs yeah. to be entertained and have all the pleasures of life like I need all those things. I need to be comfortable. Yeah, he just I... kind of reflects what we are already. But I, he was kind of funny. And one thing he's like, you know what? We don't need God to give us water or make rain. Like we can do it ourselves now. So, and then they screwed up all the water and the rain and everything. Yeah. Well, you know, he's kind of in the mentality that that man and technology could take care of it and replace God altogether. And I think yeah. it's kind of starting to show. Uh, before we get too sidetracked, let's uh, continue in verse nine. I like our sidetracks. I think it's. <laughs> yeah, I, for me, I personally love to keep talking about what was going on today. But uh, I know you have limited time. So I wanted to at least finish. Yeah, up. we should at least get done with the two chapters. Yeah. They shall therefore follow my commandment, lest they bear sin for it and die in it. If they profane it, I am Yahweh who sanctifies them. No stranger shall eat of the holy thing. A foreigner living with the priests or a hired servant shall not eat of the holy thing. But if a priest buys a slave purchased by his money and by his money, he shall eat of it. And those who are born in his house shall eat of his bread. If a priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she shall not eat of the heaven of the heave offering of the holy but if a priest's daughter is a widow or divorced and has no child and has returned to her father's house as in her youth she may eat of her father's bread but no stranger shall eat any of it so what do you think is going on here because we're just talking about food offerings right i mean i might get a little controversial here so bear with me <laughs> i think this is actually kind of a fulfillment of more like kind of orthodox Christianity, not so much Protestantism, because in Protestantism, we just let anyone kind of, well, I guess not anyone, but this kind of looks to communion, you know, like uh, taking the sacrament. It is communion, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, you, you don't let people who aren't Christians participate in the Eucharist. Uh, you don't, you, you, only people who are in the family get to participate in eating of the bread and the wine. That's a good point. I think that, yeah, I think that's a really good insight on, uh, on this And one. I think this is actually a mistake that Protestants make often is they just, they don't have any kind of concern for those who aren't of the congregation eating that which is um, sacred because Christ is sacred. And so if somebody who's, who isn't believing in Christ and isn't part of the church eats of it, it can, it can pronounce judgment on that person. This is pretty good. I mean, I, I wasn't even looking at it in that term, but I think you're right that this kind of is talking about the believers having, um, communion with god and their congregation so like in the congregations today and i have been to some of these types of churches where they allow anyone to come in which is fine but they're they haven't transformed their heart right so they're they're going as a church activity as they are which 
I guess if they don't repent or follow what you know what's righteous, do they count as believers? Are they allowed to partake in the communion in the so, church? I know in like different, like the Catholic church and the Eastern Orthodox church, if you have to confess your sins right, in order to partake of communion and, and also importantly, you also have to be part of the, the doctrine and the creed of the, the church in order to part. And you have to be a member of the, the church in order to actually participate in communion. I think that that is very good. And I, the reason I think that's a good thing is because if you partake partake of something that is holy and you're unholy, it will destroy you. Um, it will destroy your soul. And I don't mean like also... it's an unforgivable sin. I just mean like it's not going to to uh, help you. It's, it's it kind of sounds like it would against you. It would uh, corrupt the congregation too. Yes, they allow that. To it happen. corrupts. It corrupts the congregation. It destroys. So yeah. it's kind of like what happens when antimatter and matter collide together. It just yeah. creates a big, big explosion, and and it's not good for anybody. Yeah, the whole the whole point is to to uh, become holy, not to mix the holy and the profane. Ah, the law couldn't make people holy. No, only it God. was actually a type and shadow of that which would actually make the human would actually sanctify human nature in the form of the incarnate christ yeah that's that's what i was getting at before that without christ we can't really be sanctified on our own powers exactly yeah see all of these laws were actually an acting out of their profession of faith in what was to eventually come and that's why i kind of tied in david was a man after god's own heart he was looking forward to it to the time where Christ would come and transform his heart. And I think that's, I think that's like, cause I don't, I don't always understand why God loved David so much. Like why, but now, now that looking from that perspective. It um, was his heart. He was connected to God. David also wrote all the Psalms, which were very emotional and passionate about his longing for God, not only for him, but just in general, you know, he oh. always tried to, he was kind of like crying out to God all the time. through his I song. think he was deeply grieved Yeah, because he saw the day that Christ would come, but he knew that he would never live to see it until yeah. he was, he was raised from the dead. I think, I think that's what down. really grieved him a lot. Wasn't he also hunted down by Saul? Oh, like, yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah. But I think like more dear, deeply and spiritually, that's really what grieved. Well, he um, understood God and, you know, he he honored. I think he even honored Saul. Yeah, he did. Not killing him and not going after him, you know, even though he could have because he killed the, uh, the giant. So he had the power. Yeah. So one of the things, too, is like when David didn't kill Saul. The reason he didn't kill Saul was because of his love for God, because God anointed Saul to be king. Yeah, right. Because he and was so, anointed, so he couldn't be killed. Yeah, yeah. And so David respected God and he even right. respected Saul's anointing and Saul's kingship. And so he, even though Saul was a wicked king, he did not think to himself, oh, I'm going to liberate the people and kill this tyrant. No, he saw it differently. He saw it as no, you were ordained by God as both judge a, as a judgment against the people. Yeah, you can't you can't that, kill God's judgment against the people because they wanted a king. Remember? Yeah, they so kind of like, shows okay, today. Well, it doesn't it kind of shows today like the leaders uh, that are so corrupt that are in power. Perhaps they're anointed by God to give us judgment oh i think absolutely yes so i i'm not like one of these libertarian people where i'm just like we need to kill the tyrants <laughs> like, well maybe the tyrant is In there vain. yeah because you yeah and me yeah because if people were righteous and you know calling out the god i think the world would be at peace pretty much instantaneously there wouldn't be wars but as soon as they want their own kings and they're in the same heart and mentality that are their chosen representatives, then I'm like, all right, you can go for them. They're really your judgment then. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. The pride of life is a dangerous thing. Yeah. All right. Verse 14. If a man eats something wholly unwittingly, then he shall add the fifth part of its value to it and shall give the holy thing to the priest. The priest shall not profane the holy thing of the children of Israel, which they offer to Yahweh, and so cause them to bear the iniquity that brings guilt when they eat their holy things. For I am Yahweh who sanctifies them. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, Whoever is of the house of Israel or of the foreigner in Israel who offers his offering, whether it is any of their vows or any of their free will offerings, which they offered Yahweh for burnt offering, that you may be accepted, you shall offer a male without defect of the bulls, of the sheep, or of the goats, but you shall not offer whatever has the defect, for it shall not be acceptable for you. Whoever offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to Yahweh to accomplish a vow, or for a free will offering of the herd or of the flock, it shall be perfect to be accepted. It shall have no defect. You shall not offer what is blind, is injured, is maimed, as a wart, is festering, or has a running sore to Yahweh, nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar to Yahweh. Either a bull or a lamb that has any deformity or lacking in his parts that you may offer for a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. You must not offer to Yahweh that which has its testicles bruised, crushed, broken, or cut. You must not do this in your land. You must not offer any of these as the bread of your God from the hand of a foreigner, because their corruption is in them. There is a defect in them. They shall not be accepted for you. All right, let's depack this one here. They can't offer anything blemished or broken or damaged as a peace offering because it shall have no defect. Or a free will offering or any kind yeah, of Yeah, or any yeah. injured or or gross in animal wounds and stuff. But what was the part is that you may that you may offer for free will offering? So either a bull or a lamb that has any deformity or lacking in his, either a bull or a lamb that has any deformity or lacking in his parts, that you may offer for a free will offering, but not for the vow. What's going on there? I might have read that differently than, than you did. So I just read it as a conjunction rather than a exception. Start again. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a bit confused. No, you I'm not, confused. <laughs> you shall not offer what is blind, is injured, is maimed, has a wart, is festering, or has a running sore to Yahweh, nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar to Yahweh. Either a bull or a lamb that has any deformity or lacking in his parts that you may offer for a free will offer. So see, I think they can this is just offer a deformed lamb and a bull for a free will offering, but not for a vow. I think that might be the case. It's, it's confusing, it's, right? It's we kind of phrased weird. I it don't... is phrased weird. I don't like it. So let's see if we can find another version just for the one it's... little paragraph. Pick a version you think we can read from. Well, American Standard Version is usually pretty good, but I don't know if it's copyrighted. It is copyrighted, but we're only going for one little verse. Yeah. Blind, yeah. broken, or maimed, having, oh, this is even harder to read, having a rent or scurvy or scab, ye shall not offer these unto Jehovah, nor be offering by fire onto them or altar to Jehovah, either a bullock or a lamb that had anything superfluous or lacking in his part. That may thou offer for a free will offer. Okay, so yeah, it's what you said. So they can offer. Yeah, they can offer things that have those things for a free will offering. I'm going to go to a, maybe there's another easier version. I just want to check one more time. Oh, the new, Ameri new American standard version, not American. Well, let's do NIV. That's yeah. Uh, do not offer to the Lord the blind, the injured, the maimed, anything with words, festering, or running sores. Do not place any of these on the altar as food offering presented to the Lord. You may, however, present a free will offering of an ox or a sheep that is deformed or stunted, but it shall not be accepted 
in the fulfillment of a vow. I think it's saying the same yeah. thing that we read yeah, already, even is. though they mixed up. I think you there. were on the right track. I was. No, it, it's good to kind of go over sometimes because it's so confusing. Like, you know, what? Yeah. It's like, it, reading, that... it's like reading a law book sometimes. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, that is what we're doing. Uh, so where were we? We were in the W.E. This one, right? I think so. But I guess we should talk about like what's the reasoning behind all this not presenting broken, bruised animals or lives, you know, like even the the produce, it, it couldn't be damaged. I think a lot of that is just to prevent people from from trying to find like loopholes and people yeah, like, that kind of like giving lust to God. Like Yeah. Yeah, kind of like Cain and Abel offering, like Cain's wasn't accepted, maybe because yes. his heart wasn't in it. He was just probably picking whatever. I yeah. think it's to avoid people's own pride and delusion, you know, like, because like, it's really easy to get deluded. It's like, ah, yeah, this is a pretty good sheep, you know, like, it's only got a little bit wrong. I can make a vow with this sheep, you know, it's like th that mindset. I get into that mindset so easily. Oh, it is easy to do. Oh, like, so easy. Yeah, God won't care. Let me just offer that one, you know? Yeah, it's like, but he does I, care. I can give a hundred bucks. Yeah. But, you know, feel more comfortable to giving. I know. It's it's really easy to get in that mindset. I'm sure I've done a, a lot in the past. Uh, I, I one time prayed to God that he would reveal how delusional I am. And what I mean by delusional is like those situations and oh my gosh, I realized like I should never judge anyone ever in my entire life because the amount of delusion just in a five minute period that I fall into is, <laughs> is uh, insurmountable. Yeah. I guess we can never really live in other people's shoes until we have, you know, we don't. Yeah. All right. Verse 26. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, when a bull or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother. From the eighth day on it shall be accepted for the offering of an offering made by fire to Yahweh. You know what's great about this? The what? eighth day of creation. Guess when that is? That's uh, when we live with Christ in fullness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the eighth day when God renews the heavens and the earth. Yeah. It's a symbol of of that. And what an appropriate symbol that you bring that which is born to testify of the new birth and of the heavens and the earth. And, you know, eight is kind of like an infinity loop. Mm hmm. Yeah. If you flip it sideways. It's infinity. Yeah. I, I, I would say it was done on purpose. Yep, I, I do, too. So I can't wait. And the seventh day is really the rest for that millennial period. Um, yes. 1,000 years. 28. Whether it is a cow or you, you shall not kill it and its young both in one day. When you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to Yahweh, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. Shall be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it until the morning. I am Yahweh. Therefore, you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am Yahweh. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be made holy among the people, children of Israel. I am Yahweh who makes you holy, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Yahweh. <laughs> you know, he says that a lot. It's almost like we forget it. I know. How many times has he said, I am Yahweh? It's, it's literally like me. It was just like my kids will be like, Dude, no. It's like, mm, I'm not just dude, man. I'm your dad. Okay, yeah. bud? You can't just talk to me how you talk to your friends. It's not hey. the kind of relationship we have. And I think this is a call to remember your plate. Reminding that he them. is the I am yeah. that I am. You are not I am that you am. Because you have not always existed. You understand close to nothing, mm -hmm. much closer to nothing than you'd ever care to admit. Because in a lot of ways, I am worse than my two and four-year-old. 
<laughs> very much so in the eyes of god i'm like calling me an idiot is a compliment <laughs> well he's definitely setting himself apart from the people making sure they know that he, every who he is is perfect and every offering the deed that they do must be perfect they can't well, that was the whole point of not choosing any blemished animals or other sacrifices they had to present unblemished perfect sacrifice because god himself he's allowing them in into his house basically mm -hmm. the tabernacle well, not only that but kind of a comical thing is when you read this you you read this as an idiot and i i read this as an idiot because when i read this i'm like man you're being so redundant and then i remembered oh my gosh i'm not actually getting who he is and that's why he's saying it so many times it's like I think he's being redundant, but in reality, I'm just not getting it. And the fact that I think it's redundant is evidence that I'm not getting it. Yeah, he has to keep telling us over and over. I, I, it'd be kind of curious how many times did we just read I am Yahweh? I think we probably read a lot. Every every paragraph, pretty much. Yeah, and I started getting irritated at it. I was like, Jesus, <laughs> he's repeating himself way too much. And then yeah, I remember, but the he's fact, doing it for a purpose. I mean, yeah, the fact that I think he's repeating himself too much, and that's yeah. what I got out of that, means I'm kind of silly. <laughs> yeah, because we're not like him, right? We're, we're trying to dwell with him, but at the same time, we're like the most imperfect creatures to be around something so holy and sanctified. So, like, he has to sanctify them and give them all these legalistic things that they have to do just to be to, in presence yeah he has to give them a reference point yeah and like i totally wasn't even getting it like we often judge like even reading reading leviticus has kind of revealed a lot in me about how judgmental of god i am because i'm like judging like oh all these ridiculous rules these <laughs> so stupid well, like, people get hung up on this uh, whole book, don't they? Like, they don't understand really what's happening and why. They what What is revealing to me after this entire book is that this whole thing, it, it's not so much the laws, it's the process of sanctifying the people in order to be dwelling with him in the wilderness. And that means not just in the wilderness, but forever. Like we, and it's Jesus who took away the thorns in a way to be able to tolerate us living with God is like, you know what I mean? Like before mm -hmm. God, it must've pained him a lot to be around something that was totally broken and sinful and unsafe. A man of sorrows. Yeah. And then he's like, he's trying to reach out to all the people, but then in the process he ha he knows that only Jesus, his son, could do that. So he's like teaching them. If, if he never taught his people any of this stuff, do, would people even know? They would just go straight to Jesus like, oh, yeah, everything is cool now. They would never know that we have to be sanctified and what Jesus was doing. He was saying the process of believing in Jesus and have the Holy Spirit in us, we're being sanctified just like people here, but in a different way. Yeah, I think... I think a better way of saying it is actually not sanctification, but rather we are becoming like God by God's grace upon us. Yeah, he is for sure. We, are, we aren't becoming God in his essence, but rather by grace, we are being becoming like God, like God is. Yeah. And we're, that's like really what it means to bring into fulfillment. What is to, to be in Christ. Yeah, I mean, but just the act of him even being around and touching anything, anything he touched was purified. Like even the act of wine to make the wine out of water, he purified the water and he made purified wine that was much better than what they could have made on their own. Yep. And then every miracle after that, he was healing them and purifying them. In their and state, they were death and decay. You know what repentance really is? It's just walking a little bit closer to Christ. Yeah, I mean, it's not of our own works, right? It's of his glory. Well, here's the thing. It can't be of our own 
works, yeah. but it has to be part, we have to participate in it. You that's know? for sure. I like, think it's, it's not so, it's not so simple where you can just say, oh, we, we, it's not our works that were saved. Yeah. No, but we participate in, in coming to the knowledge uh, of Christ and also growing with Christ. Like, yeah, it and would I, be impossible for us to even walk towards in repentance to Christ without Christ first doing a work in us. But we are still supposed to um, do good works. Do you think we can know God without reading the word? Like if some oh. just believed in Christ, but they didn't understand anything that we just read? So I want to say yes, but I I don't want to just say yes. Yeah. So here's the thing. The answer, of course, is yes, because Christ can bestow graces upon you and yeah. understanding upon you. Um, it, it's like we, we've had this just this uh, question before, because blind people often can't read. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. It's not it's not like the Bible words that say you save you. Yeah. Rather, it's Christ being revealed through through scripture through revelation um and there's many ways that god can bestow upon us revelation um it's yeah, not so just what... through the written word but the written word is very important you should have a very high regard for scripture and you should never belittle it um yeah, because I mean, it is I think that which is revealing a lot about god right i mean all these yeah. especially the old testament what do you what did you gather so far from the book of leviticus we only have a few more to go uh, to finish it up and there's a juicy story coming in chapter 24 which came out of nowhere but we'll, we'll talk about that next time i think the main thing that really i've been gathering is like today for instance uh uh something that was revealed to me is i don't often know that he is yahweh <laughs> yeah and I, I don't at least 30 times. Yeah. I don't yeah. understand the importance of it in my day-to-day -day life and understanding it and yeah. what it really means to have God dwell with us. Yeah. And I don't keep that in my heart. Um, Keep that in my mind and keep that in my work. He, he made himself known. He gave himself a name. He told yeah. us who he is and he's telling us like what it, what how holy he really is yes so and we do need to remember that a lot more and one thing that i've been coming to understand reading this and i'm also reading the entire bible this year too oh that's is, good is that christ can make us right filling um and only he can like we participate and we allow him to but we that we do that through humbling ourselves yeah and, and through repentance and confession of our sins to christ because if you're not honest with yourself about your shortcomings how how can you ask how can you then ask god to to help you i think you reading healthy? all these chapters i think it's pretty clear now that i can see a lot of shortcomings mm -hmm. us, you know we're not even anywhere near what israelites knew back then and we yeah. tend to overlook a lot of stuff so, yeah, I think this is kind of painting a clear picture of why Jesus came in, in the flesh and what he actually did for us. Um, yeah, and what he's doing. Yeah, right. Yeah, because he's working on each of us and he's trying to call us out to be like he is and, yeah. and to forget this world, you know, because the Israelites were sojourners in the desert. And what a great reflection of what this world is, because this world is a spiritual um, yeah. desert. It's trying to take us out of it. Exactly. Yeah. While we still live in it, which is really a hard thing to do. But I think the more we recognize, easier it is for us to pull ourselves out. Yes. The flesh is the wilderness. Yeah. And our our spirit being sanctified by Christ is the holy spirit is the whole the, the the nation of israel in a way yeah the fulfilled nation of israel so next time we'll cover the next two chapters chapter 24 was a little weird it was a cliffhanger so i'm like what happened so i try to go forward 
Yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll do some mystery digging next time. All but right. We'll close to finishing this book. Uh, and then... Oh, did I, did I tell you that my song's out on YouTube? Oh, yeah, I did listen to it. Should oh, I okay. There. I want let me share that. So yeah, if y'all want to view uh, click on that and share that with your friends, that'd be awesome. But thank you so much. Um these are s such fun conversations and oh, yeah. thank you so much for You have a great insight on and I'll post a whole video at the end for this part. Awesome. Well, you have a great night. Sleep well and God bless. Yeah. Same here, and uh, I'll catch you next time for sure. All right, catch you next Thank time. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.